We are we're back, man. How are you doing today, Samir? I'm doing great. It's a muggy ass day in New York City. Sure, I like it's very it's a tropical damp here. You know, it feels like we are we're in an equatorial space. Oh yeah, and that's only going to get crazier as the years go by. Sure, I'm looking forward to. I'm getting a lot of. Um, Instagram stories and ads for mosquito zappers. And I'm seeing it when I open my laptop, sort of the Google search page is showing me all these articles on mosquitoes. And I'm wondering if that is uh, the powers that be sort of prepping us for uh, more bloodborne diseases and more uh, mosquito infestations over time as uh, the planet becomes warmer and wetter. I continually get murdered by mosquitoes, especially out here. You got out that this sweet whole blood? area. Yes. And um, it is becoming a serious problem. I can't go anywhere without getting destroyed within minutes. Sure. You know what they say? A holistic cure for that is a little bit of garlic water. You smash up some garlic and put it in a spritz bottle and spritz yourself. Well, let's put it this way. I eat garlic. I would do that too, but... I also use Bushman's, which is an Australian insect repellent that gives you cancer pretty much immediately because yeah. it's like ninety percent DEET. Uh huh. And um, <laughs> it's still not helping. I sprayed it on myself last week, and then I went to an acting class, and within minutes, I was getting murdered by mosquitoes. And the thing about spraying yourself with DEET is that no one can lick you at the acting class. <laughs> Or they're going to absorb it into yeah. their, into their uh, bodies. Yeah, it's like Agent Orange. Yeah. It's better to spray yourself with the water and be like a little garlic non-boy. I mean, you I'm know? not mad at it. I might yeah. even just wear that as a cologne. If it'll keep me from getting destroyed by mosquitoes, then I'll do it. Because I feel the bites when they happen, and then they get progressively itchier days later. And I can't stand it. And I just wound up itching until... Uh, I'm just losing my mind. So. Yeah, because we're gonna get more, uh, more of the. Remember the Zika craze? Oh yeah, uh, a couple years back. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's like, oh, don't, don't get bit by a mosquito if you're pregnant, or you're gonna have a little monster baby. Yeah, they would be like Beetlejuice. Sure. Yeah, like Beetlejuice from the Howard Stern show. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> or like the movie Beetlejuice. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> when the guy with the tiny head isn't. That's why they named Beetlejuice Beetlejuice. Oh, I hear what you're talking about. The tiny, yeah. If they get the, they'll get the tiny shrunken head babies. If yeah. you get Zika yeah. and you're pregnant. Yep. So uh, look forward to that once we get over COVID. <laughs> if uh, we, if we. <laughs> so did you hear what? I don't know if I told you this actually. Um, right before I came over here, I read an article in Forbes that said that Israel, not my favorite place, but they're saying that the Pfizer vaccine is only. Uh, 60% effective against uh, the COVID Delta variant, but it's 92% effective against serious hospitalization or death. So that's like Ron Burgundy. Remember, yeah. like, it works 50% of the time, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, okay, so everyone who's been following um, the podcast knows that I've been working in schools, mm-hmm. and here's the, here is the nonsense. Uh, I've been working in six different classrooms, and then uh, they public schools are not prepared. They have never been prepared. The windows are painted shut. No one opens them. There's no ventilation. And then on the last day, uh, right before Funhouse, I got a phone call at 7 p.m., telling me that uh, that someone in one of the classes tested covid positive. So, I am I get paid uh by the hour. I don't have a salary. Uh I don't have health insurance through my job and I'm in there as a teaching artist and then we get exposed to uh covid-19. Right? And then they email us after work is closed expecting us to come in the next day. The school is like, yeah, well, if you don't have any symptoms like, and you've been vaccinated, come on in. But uh, on Instagram, I'm seeing I've got like four different friends uh, from different walks of life who have all had breakthrough cases and had Pfizer vaccines. So what is the of, that it's possible that I could have gotten it, too. Uh, so instead of coming to Funhouse, I just chilled at home. And then the next morning I got myself a rapid test. 
negative, no symptoms, whatever. But at the same time, man, uh, why are we, uh, I'm not going back into a school. I don't want to be around unvaccinated children. It's insane that, and I don't care about parents. You fucking made the decision to have kids live with that decision, you know? And if you, if you want, uh, people to work with your kids, then push the government and get your kids vaccinated. Parents should be on the front lines, the vanguard of any revolution, because they're the ones that have, uh, you know, skin in the game. I'm not having kids. I don't have a skin in the game. <laughs> I will say this is a good tag to us talking about Pfizer in a previous episode. <laughs> and we were talking about how Pfizer made Viagra and, mm-hmm. and that. But um, all, all that aside, it, it was a, interesting to figure out whether or not the vaccine would be effective against Delta because everyone at the top and everyone who has this information to share is trying to encourage vaccination. So they are up against a rock and a hard place where they don't want to say, well, look, it's just not useful against the Delta variant because then the people who are on the fence about getting vaccinated aren't going to do it. But I, too, have heard of some breakthrough Delta cases uh, for people who have va- been vaccinated, and it stresses me out because I just don't really want to get COVID again. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I already had it. I already get the vaccine, so it's like I don't need to get it one more time because this time it could be the revenge. If it breaks through this time, it's the one. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, so um, anyway, uh, your boy is no longer going to be working in any uh, any school settings with kids. Uh, I'll do it over Zoom, but uh, nah, man, I'm not putting my life on the line for nothing. I'm going to take the white liberal approach, and I'm going to evangelically suggest everyone wear masks, but I won't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, thankfully, yo, we were all wearing masks in the building, so that's true, which made my job ludicrous because I'm teaching them theater. <laughs> and they're like, and I'm like, what's your name? And they're like, rub, 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 rub. like, just you know, okay, what, Raiden, Jaden, Caden? I can't tell. So I couldn't tell what their names were because they're mumbling and they can't see any of my facial expressions. So we're just a bunch of like face blind mumblers. The new Mumblecore movie, exactly. Oh, so sweet. Can't. Yep. Yep. Anyway, COVID Mumblecore. Uh, that's cool. Uh, oh, so how was Funhouse this week, though? Really, really good. Honestly, I didn't know what to expect, and a lot of people turned up. Uh, it felt like the old days. Uh, for those of you just tuning in and don't really know what Funhouse is about, me and Gabe have been running the show for a long time in New York City, and it became a bit of a legendary show. And not to brag. Not to brag, <laughs> yet. Uh, and uh, we're back in the place where we really spent the most of our time doing the show, and it feels a lot like home again, starting to. Yeah, serious FOMO for not being there, but um, I knew it was in good hands. So anybody who is in New York City on Wednesday nights at 9.30, come hang out with us at Pete's Candy Store. I got that rapid test. I'm a negative boy, so yeah, we'll be hanging out. you're going to the way you look if you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so have you been watching anything? Oh, yeah. Uh, I watched this thing that I really enjoyed recently. It's on Netflix. It's a docu-series, and it's called Heist. And they basically follow around everyday Joe Schmoes as they go on these... Well, they tell the story of how they went on these heists and successfully pretty much heisted. And a lot of them were getting away with it for a long time. And then, finally, the hammer gets dropped on them because... If you steal money, they'll never stop looking for that money. But if you kill someone, they'll be like, this is a cold case. Unfortunately, we don't have the resources to pursue this. Because we live in a country where money is way more valuable than human life. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah, well, uh, so I was that cold case thing, I first heard that term in Washington, D.C., because it was the murder capital of the United States in the uh, 80s for a couple years. And, you know, ACAB... I, that's how I feel now. But when I was like 10 or 11, I thought I should become a homicide detective, you know, to solve some of these cold cases. 
Yeah, and that's like the freezer there because it gets cold pretty quick. <laughs> Super chilly, man. Yeah, but then you, I realized that if you want to become a police officer, there's no way that you can be, be a good person because you have to start at the bottom. Yeah. And so you, by the time that you get to be like a detective, you've already done all of these years of just handing out tickets and being like one of those, uh, just like a low-level goon enforcing, um, you know, subway fare uh, stop and frisk type stuff. Yeah, that brings me to another thing that I think is really amazing. I'm a big Reddit head, so a lot of stuff I talk about I find out I find on Reddit. And yesterday I saw this video of a cop that had pulled over a car of black people and taken I'm assuming one of them out of the back. And uh so this dude is filming from the front passenger seat and he's got the camera and the cop is in the passenger side back seat area. Yes. And the cop throws a bag of drugs into the car and the guy caught it in 4K on his iPhone. Wow. Yes. And then he goes, what'd you just throw in here, man? What'd you just throw in here? And, and he goes, you know, I'm filming you, right? And then the cop goes... Uh, I'm filming you too, so we're all good, man. And then he <laughs> shows that the, the dude threw a bag of drugs in there, and it immediately exploded all over Reddit. There's like hundreds of versions of that video being like, "This is what police do." Yeah, yeah. And so this one cop, as much as everyone already hates cops, now just continued to prove that they're constantly framing people with drugs, and the police. Uh, chief of that place was like, we need to look into this. We need to figure out what really happened, even though it's obvious and it's on camera. And it's just brand numbing. That cop should go to jail. You should be... If you've been framed by a cop, this is an unpopular opinion, but if you've been framed by a cop and you had to go to jail for 20 years and then they know that you've been framed by that cop, you should be allowed to kill that cop. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. You should be allowed to kill that cop. You should be allowed to film it so you can rewatch that death. And you should be able to kill them however you want to. So the number of years that you spend incarcerated or whatever your charges were, then you take the, the average age, life expectancy <laughs> of, uh, of a cop, and, yeah. then you, and then you just say, okay, cool. Well, we're going to subtract that many years from your life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I love that. So maybe maybe they only took like um, maybe they only uh, wasted or lost forty years of someone's life, but the average life expectancy is what like seventy five for a cop, sure, or for if a, a dude. For a human so being, then yeah. you minus the forty, yeah. and then maybe they've got a couple years left until they get until they get to the cutoff age. So then they get to walk like a dead man walking for like two or three years before they get thrown off a bridge. Yeah, it's like you might want to go to Hawaii or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Take all your take all your sick days now. Yeah, (laughs) because when you turn thirty five, it's a wrap, son. Yeah, but I just don't think it's fair. It's like unless there is um, a punishment and there is uh, a reason why people should fear doing these things and they're going to keep doing them yeah well this is okay so the war on drugs in and of itself uh, allows for so the cops just want to arrest these people right in the u.s and then they put the drugs in the car to justify the arrest so they can juke their stats in mexico the war on drugs and this idea of cartels going on murder sprees i wonder how true those that is if all of the people who are dying in mexico are actually dying because of drug related issues or if it's the government killing people and then saying that it's cartels and an example of this would be in 2014 the um there were the the ayotzinapa uh rural teachers college so there was a teachers college and it was a leftist school training all of these indigenous um, teachers who were going back to their communities to go educate people. There are 40 of them, and they disappeared. They were abducted in uh, Guerrero, Mexico. And then the bodies weren't found, uh, and it was the international crisis. But it was blamed on the cartels. And then... But there's no reason for cartels to go after leftist teachers. It was like cartel operatives hired by local government who wanted to like just get rid of opposition. 
100%. But it's like wrapped up in, oh, it's drug related. You know, they tried to tarnish the kids and like put the blame on this, the war on drugs when it's really just like the war, the government's war on like uh, leftists. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. I believe that. They use the cartel thing as a pawn. Uh, I've just, I'm obsessed with cartel stuff. And, um, well, hence the name of the podcast, Halal Cartels. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) I love, I'm obsessed with it. And, uh, I read Way of the Dog. I don't know if you've ever read that. No. It's really good. Um, yeah, anything cartel related, I'll watch or whatever. I've read some of the most grizzled things. There's this one story called The Gladiator School. It's also on Wikipedia. Um, I'll post it on Twitter for people who are listening. You you can read it if you ever want to. It's very demented. But basically, they pulled over a huge bus filled with people, and they uh, the cartel did. And then they told everyone to get out, and they were all, like, high on coke and stuff. And uh, they just said, look, I know that a bunch of you are just the enemy. You've been, like, coming here to... Uh, sneak in on these buses and try and take over our turf. So they killed all the women and children in horrible ways. And then they gave each of the men different weapons and said, whoever survives, you have to kill each other or we'll kill you. And whoever survives gets to join us. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> this is a very extreme version of that. The Joker in Dark Knight. Yeah. With like, uh, we've got a, we, we've got one position open. Exactly. Um, anyway, that's horrible. Thanks for uh, thanks for that ray of sunshine anecdote. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. But then I agree with you that there has to be some involvement by the government because the government is also involved in the cartels. Yeah, well, it's a narco state. Yeah. So the they're they're the cartels don't operate as outside agencies without impunity. They are an institutional. Um, arm appendage of the government yeah the money flows up man follow the money for sure and uh so what but we got like completely sidetracked from heist oh yeah we did anyways heist is worth watching um there's a great uh two episodes about the buffalo trace distillery uh it's interesting because wealthy elite of the united states began to want more and more bourbon after watching things like mad men Ah, and, uh, yeah. small uh, source, small batch, s- small yeah. batch, single source, yeah, cask aged, yeah, just the, the barrel aged, yeah, barrel aged bourbon, and uh, Buffalo Trace, one of the best to do it, and they had this one, um, Pappy Van Winkle, Pappy Van Winkle. <laughs> yes. I-, I went to a wedding in Atlanta, and everyone was ooh drinking Pappy. Really? Pappy Van Winkle, yeah. That's amazing because it's very expensive. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it went from like five hundred dollars a bottle to now upwards of five thousand, depending. Uh huh. There, it's like the Yeezys of uh, <laughs> bourbon. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is the Yeezys. So, yeah, it's worth watching. I love heist movies. The only movie I didn't like that was a heist movie was called Heist, and it was by David Mamet. Uh, It was just really annoying. It was like an acting class exercise. Everyone repeats what the other person said back to them. So they go like, I think you're trying to fuck me. You think I'm trying to fuck you? I'm trying to fuck you? You think I'm trying to fuck you? It's like very annoying, but everything else heist-related. Can't get enough of it. Yeah. So what happened with the Pappy Van Winkle, though? Oh, so they just stole barrels of it. They stole cases of it. Everyone was basically robbing the Buffalo Trace distillery that worked there. Yeah. And so it got pinned on one guy. But then you find out it's not really this guy who stole the big... They called it Pappy Gate. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it wasn't that guy who did it. So there was one fall guy, there but was it was really a, a whole cartel of people doing it. It was endemic it. of the whole area. Sure. And were these all independent operators, or were, was it a conspiracy of all of them? Part of it was a conspiracy of all of them, but because of that, there were still independent operators doing the same thing. It's just like being at Fort Knox and then robbing Fort Knox. You work there, and then you're robbing Fort Knox. Yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, so then I wonder if you could get, like, bootleg Pappy Van Winkle, like, on uh, Canal Street. You, I'm sh- absolutely certain you can. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I get my fake Draquar Noir and my Gucci glasses, <laughs> and I get my bottle of Pappy. It is filled with bathtub, like, <laughs> toilet whiskey. <laughs> I actually would love that. 
I went down a rabbit hole watching all of these urban planning mini documentaries on YouTube uh, by a channel called Not Just Bikes. And I love it um, because, you know, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I feel so privileged and happy that I grew up in a part of the city where I could walk around, you know? And just as a kid, I got to walk everywhere. You know, I lived next, I lived near the zoo. I lived near the Uptown Theater. I lived by Columbia Road. And so everywhere that I went, there was just like vibrant storefronts. There was a lot of green space. And I felt like that's a reason that I'm, I'm like healthy. And uh, like I'd go visit my cousins or relatives in suburbs and I would always get so depressed and bummed out at like the cul-de-sac lifestyle and my lack of independence and freedom. So like when I was little, I would take the subway in second grade or the Metro in DC. And when I look at second graders now, you know, they're hovered over by helicopter parents and like everyone is like so scared that their children are idiots until they're like 15, basically. You know, their kids aren't allowed to like do things. Right. But I was like so excited and I had all this independence growing up in my neighborhood, uh, going to the store whenever I wanted, staying out late. And then I'd go to the suburbs and just be so dependent. Like you're as a kid, you're dependent until you're 16 uh, on like a mom to drive you anywhere just to get a snack. Yeah. Yeah. But you could just go. You could just say, I'm going to go get a snack. It See you later. Yeah, I'm going like, to go get sure, a, I'm a snack. I'm going to go get an ice cream sandwich down the street. Then I'm going to go to the pizzeria and play, uh, you know, Russian Attack and uh, Q-Bert. They had old school games. That's hell. You know, and then, uh, and then I would, or Time Crisis. And then I'd come back home and... I would have, or, and then I would have walked by like a basketball court. Maybe I had my basketball with me. So I would have been able to play bat, like within an hour, um, being outside and independent at like 11 years old. I could go buy my own snacks, play video games, run into like, have interactions with a dozen adults on the street, none of whom were pedophiles, and then go and play basketball and then come home and watch Married with Children. <laughs> You're allowed to watch Married with Children. That's for another time. But uh, so that's amazing. But, and yeah, I w- want to go back to what you just said. That nowadays everyone's worried about the pedophile thing. Yeah, that, and I'm sure they were out there too. And I understand street harassment. I think like I have empathy. <laughs> you know, w- a couple years ago there were all these videos that came out of like a woman walking through a neighborhood and like all the dudes like harassing her. And as a kid, you know, in a city. Growing up, I was like, oh, I get that. Because, like, there were creepers out there who were, like, you know, would look at you or, like, holler, you know, at kids. But you, I think growing up in a city as a kid, you're just, like, you brush your shoulder off. It's, like, not a big deal. Yeah, like, that guy's a freak, but he's going to have to move heaven and earth to take me on this crowded street. Yeah, well, there's the Jane Jacobs um, uh, view of, of urban planning where... Uh, her whole thing was that if you've got uh, a diverse um, cityscape, streetscape with like lots of businesses, mixed residential and business, you have all these eyes on the street all the time. So you actually don't need a large police force because everyone is out. And if everyone's out in the street, uh, the kids aren't going to get abducted because there's a bunch of eyes on you the whole time. Right. You know, and uh, and that is... So, like, watching this uh, Just for Bikes urban planning video, um, the guy is basically talking about how modern zoning isn't really lending itself or incentivizing building walkable places anymore. So suburban sprawl is just continuing in this sort of, like, infinite growth model in a space that is finite. And that means that all of the spaces that are walkable now that were built, like, 100 years ago, every one of those spaces is just going to become more and more valuable and as that's the case uh just wealthy people are going to live in walkable spaces and then everyone else is just going to be a wally like human just floating around in their tahoe or suv suburban you know and these like desolate houston like landscapes that's really 
interesting because that exists in New York too, in this way. So neighborhoods that have uh, amazing restaurants, have supermarkets, have access to services, those neighborhoods cost more money because you have a walkable distance to get all of your stuff done. Yeah. And then when you go to a neighborhood that's just mostly residential, but it's also like crimey. Yeah. People don't want to live there, and so it costs less. And it's also a hassle to get everything done and get all your chores done and go get your groceries and everything. Yeah. What, was, what type of landscape did you grow up in as a kid? Oh, I grew up in the suburbs, and it was Sick. such a completely different story. It's exactly what you said. I would just have to ride my bike everywhere. I loved it for its own reasons. I could ride my bike everywhere, and I used to love that, and I would play basketball and stuff. But there was nowhere to go to. Like, you would eat a snack at home. Yeah, you when I visited that. your house, we went to the Hooters. Uh, we, <laughs> yeah. we were on tour, uh, and we stopped at your place. And then on the way out of uh, Worcester, Worcestershire sauce, yeah. we ended up going to a Hooters for like a, a, a endless wings. Yeah. And then we had time to kill, and we got uh, massages at the Chinese massage parlor across the, across the road, <laughs> like yeah. the highway, basically. Yeah. Oh man, and that's that was so reckless. Just getting a full body massage with a, a belly full of uh, spicy wings. <laughs> we live la vida loca. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, that was a legit establishment. It wasn't something like a rub and tug or something. No, man. On the yeah. road, when you're in the car, you get real. Uh, you get real tight. Yeah. So uh, you know that's a life hack for any any road dogs out there, any comics who you know you got to stay healthy, keep limber. Yeah, gotta say, Liz. Go get go get rubbed on, <laughs> kill time in the middle of the day. Totally. So yeah, so you you rode a bike. Yeah, I just rode and- a bicycle and played basketball. But it wasn't like what you're saying. That's why I think city kids are way more savvy because they have they are surrounded by more diversity in most cases. Not every like in the south, maybe it, it could be more segregated in some cities, but. Uh, You know, they're surrounded by diverse people and they have the ability to do things that you don't in the suburbs that requires you making decisions and having brain power. Yes. Like I did not expect for my parents to take care of me until they got home at like seven or eight. So that meant that I didn't feel neglected, but I did feel like. Okay, I have I have agency over the time that I spend between three and seven. Yeah. Right. I get home from school and there was this like magic liminal period where it was like, maybe I'm going to watch cartoons. Maybe I'm going to go outside and play like football in the alley with my friends. Maybe I'm going to go and go and walk to a bookstore or go to the library. And that was on me to do those things. And also in this time period, you just left a note and this is like, this is where I'm going to be. But we were out of pocket. You know, there are no cell phones. Yeah. So you're just like, well, my life is in God's hands. They kind of know what my track, what the circuit is that I'm walking or where I'm going. But, you know, uh, but that being said, also being in a city, if I did have a problem, uh, there were always people around. Right. So it's not like I would have disappeared on a lonely highway. Right. Or been picked up in like a random suburb. Yeah, exactly. Get snatched up. Yeah. I still can't believe that there are people who hollered at kids. They're yeah. Like, What's up, boy? Yeah, you dude. You look good. <laughs> what? No, man. What, I think, you freak? That's I think crazy. C- I think city kids know. City yeah. kids know that that's a thing. That's you know? insane, though. So if I ever saw a dude hollering at a kid, I'd punch them. It's also, but it's every creep. Uh, and it's not just, um, it, you know, it was religious people. So you're you're going to be talked to by like proselytizers, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses on the corner, or not to name like not specifically them, but any you know Scientologists, uh, they'll just hand you little pamphlets and be like, "What's up, little man? What are you up to right now? Where are you going?" And who knows why they're asking? Sometimes it was ladies who were just crazy ladies coming up and t- like talking to you for no reason. Yeah. Um, and then the, a variety of different people who live on the streets, yeah. or <laughs> right. Or uh, the local panhandlers, like the local shoeshine guys, the local street performers. I just, you know, you meet the people that are in your neighborhood, and they're just out. Yeah, and you just know them as that crazy person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you shrug it off. You're like, oh, it's that crazy guy again. Sure. And in some ways, they they are the eyes of the street, too. Like, if I was out too late, you know, and my parents wanted to find me, they could walk down the street and be like, hey, uh, have you seen, you know, they would know who who I was 
Yeah. So they'd be like, oh, yeah, I saw him at the Baskin Robbins an hour ago. Right. <laughs> so those like, crackheads are like, they're oh, your again? security yeah, system. No, just, uh, yeah, your security system. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's dude. Great. There was a shoe shiner on my block named Stoney. Uh, he he was awesome, and everybody in the neighborhood knew this guy, and he was just out there every day. I don't know what, like, he must have been on unemployment or some disabilities um, money, but he was just, he was a fixture in the neighborhood, and he had a shoe shine box, and he was just out there every day just uh, making money off the tourists because there was a little hotel uh, on the top of the hill where people would come in for conferences. So he's shining all their shoes. He, like, was jacked into what was going on at all the restaurants, he saw everybody walking by every day. So if you wanted to, you could talk to him, and he was like the the gossip bulletin board. Right. He's the guy SVU goes to when they're looking for the special victim. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, no matter the weather, I keep the leather together. Oh What's going on, Gabe? God, How you doing? Man. How you doing today? Why you look so sad? I'm grounded, but you're out here right now eating ice cream. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't go sleep over at my friend's house. And he's like, it's going to be all right. One day you'll be independent. That's mental. That's great. Yeah. So my city experience was a, a positive one. And, uh, and I was just thinking about, like, I really think everybody should watch uh, Not Just Bikes, the YouTube channel, because they talk so much about, like, um, well, he's got one episode on uh, kids. And, like, Amsterdam, he says the Netherlands and Amsterdam kind of specifically is one of the happiest places to raise children like the kids are the happiest there and the reason is because it's all walkable so like because it's all walkable and it's high density there's eyes on the kids they're independent and everyone bikes there like have you been to amsterdam i have yeah dude i went like two years ago and it it just transformed the way that i look at uh the how we can organize ourselves uh as a you know as an as a community because I a I hate bike riding, I I thought I hated bike riding, because bike riding in New York when I moved here was all like anarcho, punk like um, sort of it was an outlaw, uh, cultural phenomenon, you know it was everyone's like I got a fixie, you know check out these big chains I got on my body I'm swerving in and out of traffic I'm reckless, and like they're just mad white bicycle memorials everywhere because people were getting hit all the time and there are no bike lanes. And then the other side of that are, like, the fitness freaks that have, like, Lance Armstrong vibes, and they ride, uh, they ride their, like, really hot, their butts way up in the air and their helmets, and they're just, like, riding those speed bikes. But in Amsterdam, everybody's got a cruiser. So uh, no one needs to wear a helmet. And, yeah, because everyone just covers yeah. things. And if they're, and right, so, like, an 80-year-old is, is riding a bike next to a 5-year-old, next to... Um, you know, just a businessman and who doesn't want to break a sweat in his suit. So bike riding is like super chill. You know, it's not like it is here where like you've got to be part of a subculture to to really like be into it. Yeah. And the thing about here is that it is uh, that subculture thing because it's so dangerous because the cars on the road don't mind the bicyclists and they'll just run into them or even vindictively and mean-spiritedly like try and cut them off or uh crush them into another car it's savage yeah they'll door them yeah they'll door them it's stupid and for that reason it's only like a hardcore bicyclist who really is willing to take that risk but when it's so commonplace and everyone's doing it there everyone knows to look out for them it makes the safety a lot better yeah it's uh riding a bike out there felt like going to Disneyland as a kid and you drive in one of the car, like a, they, they had a ride that was like a car. So you're like driving a car and you know, but you're a kid. So you're the, the, the track that you're on is so safe. And in the same way, riding a bike in Amsterdam feels that way. Like it is almost impossible to have an accident there. No one's wearing helmets. The women, the moms look so happy and so hot because they're all uh, erect on their bikes with no helmets on. Moms uh, smiling with like three children hanging on them. And I'm like, oh, wow, look at that. Relative to like what it looks like to be a mom in the U.S. Where you're like harried and uh, you've got a stroller, like a giant SUV stroller. And you're just like miserable the whole time. 
um, and unhealthy. But there, it's like the moms are like riding bikes. Yeah, so yeah. I've had friends who moved to Europe to have kids because they were like, why would I do that here in the U.S.? Where it's like nothing about our system here is compatible with um, having a pleasant experience as a parent <laughs> unless you're wealthy. Right. You need to be pretty damn wealthy. Yeah, yeah. You need to have like, you need, basically you need to have servants. Yeah. Or you need to move to the deep suburbs and then you can sort of afford it. So, and that brings me back, right. So not just bikes talked about that. And it was like, the kids are happiest in cities and yet the suburbs are sold to uh, new parents, to middle-class people as where you go to raise kids. So, you, you know, you had all these, like I've had cool friends in New York. I'm going to put my, in quotes, like, oh, they're so, they were cool. And then, and they're like, yeah, but I moved to Jersey cause like, it's great for the kids. And uh, like the documentary shows that, yeah, it's great for the kids until they're about four or five. And then after that, it sucks because the kids will be become mentally like devoid of stimulation and culture. And they're like, Europe doesn't have soccer moms. So it's actually like the least feminist place is the suburbs because it turns moms into like chauffeurs. Like archetypes. Yeah, like oh, they become mom. like wine mom, soccer mom. Like, I got to take Branson to fucking ballet class, <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, I got to take him to his, you know, the dentist appointment, and then after that, I got to take him to gymnastics, you know. And so basically, your whole life is just driving your fucking kid around. Hell yeah! And then they get preyed upon by like a fun and fancy free guy. Word. That's what right? I would be in the sub. I would be the king of real estate in the suburbs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because you're just like, man, you must hate your life, but are you trying to pound? Yeah, totally. Because, you know, that's, yeah. That's what happens. Everybody needs a little adventure. Yeah. I think everyone should have affairs. Affairs are basically the, um, what is it, Uh, the pressure release valve. Right. It's letting air out of the tires. It's it's the, you know, when uh, the people at at the office go on a paintballing trip to, like, bond? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like one employee in the corporation gets to go on that paintballing trip. (laughs) (laughs) That's great, man. And that's the mom. But also, it's probably affairs probably heat up, and then they're like, what are we? And it's like, oh, I actually, I hate you. I was just doing this to pound. I got to get out of here. Oh, sure. (laughs) Well, no. I mean, that's they, affairs have a termination point because you have to stay with the, you have to stay with the father of your kids, you know, because that's where the security is. Yeah, or, like, the dude farts, and you're like, oh, Or, like, the lady farts, and you're like, what? Ew, you're a normal person? Or, uh, yeah, the fantasy gets broken. Yeah. Sure. The mirror smashes. Like, <laughs> we all We all fall, fall in and out. Yeah. Anyway, this is all just me uh, complaining about the suburbs and saying that we should uh, have more urban planning like Amsterdam. Yeah. Well, good luck having that happen here because they keep saying they're going to make it more bike friendly, but I don't see that happening. Yeah. So uh, what was your experience like when you went there? Oh, my God. I went there when I was 18 years old, and uh, I had just been smoking swag weed in America the whole time, like high school weed. Yeah. And uh, I went to Amsterdam. I was so excited. I was a kid in a candy store. Um, I went to a coffee shop right away, and I ordered the strongest joint that I could get, and I ordered a space cake that was made with hash, and I proceeded to smoke this entire joint to my head and eat the space cake and got so shockingly high and then went to the Anne Frank Museum and had a panic attack. Yeah, and then the walls were closing in. Right? Yeah, I couldn't stand. I just couldn't even handle it, and uh, I started running down the street to try and find a place where you know how crowded it can be there. And it was the summertime, so I was like, I, I need to find somewhere where there isn't mad people. Yeah, and I went to Damn Square, and uh, there was those pigeons everywhere. I've been there, and uh, I ran in there like sweating profusely, high out of my mind, and then they all <laughs> flew everywhere. Yeah, and then I leaned up against what I thought was a statue, and it was one of those people pretending to be a statue, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh God!" 
<laughs> and so, yeah, that was my first trip to Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah. That's I went awesome. a few times. I went like four times. Really? Yeah. So you're like a you're like an Amsterdam groupie. Yeah, I, I liked it. I mean, now that weed is legal here, that that whole thing wore off on me. It was cool to do that, the so, weed tourism and whatever. Dude, I used to... So uh, weed in Washington, D.C. was like these uh, two-dimensional dime bags that were just filled with like trench weed, just like the worst trash in the 90s. And uh, you'd go to DuPont Circle and like a bike messenger would sell you a little baggie. But uh, then... Around, I think I had like mid mid grades once in the nineties, and then uh, after nine eleven. So I went back to DC and like talked to this dude who's like been around for a while, and he's like, you know what really upped the weed game in the United States? And I was like, what? And he goes, nine eleven. And I was like, what? Really? How's how does that have anything to do with the good weed? And he's like, well, see, after nine eleven, um, all the borders shut down and security got much tighter. So the uh, growers here in the U.S. had to, like, step up their hydro game and step up their tech. So a lot more um, local growers were making much better product. Yeah. So thank you, Osama bin Laden. (laughs) Because we wouldn't have that dank-ass kush if it hadn't been for those two planes. Wow, that's crazy. So see, anybody that smokes weed should, uh, should thank... The Taliban and Al Qaeda. Oh my God! I did not endorse this message. I'm not getting taken out of my house with a black bag over my head. All I'm saying is that uh, actions have uh, unintended consequences. The Fair butterfly enough. effect. <laughs> the butterfly effect uh, of, of uh, 9/11. Uh, <laughs> <on> weird. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Shout outs to Wahhabism giving us that <laughs> dank, dank kush. Oh, they'd be so pissed. <laughs> oh, they're like, if I could take 9 11 back, I would. They're like, this, this, and this is what the jihad led to. Uh, more Vice magazine documentaries on oh weed God. chefs. So sad. <laughs> Oh, uh, I'm somehow responsible for Action Bronson's fuck that's delicious. <laughs> oh my god! Shout out to Action Bronson. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, baby. So yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's how I feel about that. Uh, well, since our last talk, the Olympics is. <laughs> Is now fully happening in Japan after like seventy percent of their population said we don't want the Olympics. Yeah, and they are <laughs> super pissed. There's there's all types of protests about it right now, dude. So everyone is getting COVID there. Yeah, <laughs> like all these athletes. There's like a hundred people involved that got COVID, and uh, that for one is like so crazy and risky, and. The other thing is, like, Japan is still reeling from Fukushima, to be honest. Like, a, a nuclear reactor just melted down. They haven't fixed those problems. They're still uh, reeling from earthquakes that they had to, and the tsunami. All, all of these, th- this cascade of three disasters. And they had to take building resources mon- and money away from fixing those problems to build the Olympic Village and the stadium. In Tokyo, that's all going to be a, a dirt mound of like decaying buildings <laughs> so soon, dude. <laughs> and the best part, oh, did you see how much they lost by doing this endeavor too? No, dude, so much money. Oh, like Tokyo, bill- yeah, 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 Tokyo, like twenty billion dollars or something already lost because of this. And uh, the past. Uh, Olympics that have happened in other places were also unprofitable for the place that they were in. Yeah. It's literally being sold snake oil where someone's telling you this is snake oil. Yeah. And we can't blame, it's not the government of Japan that's the problem. It is the, uh, it is like the International Olympic Committee. So those guys, that corporation is the one that parasites on all of these cities. It will show up in your city kind of like an alien uh, colonist. And once the city is chosen, they have to up all of the security. So, like, they do facial recognition. They do all these biometric ways of of policing people. And then after the Olympics leaves, those security apparatuses don't shut down. 
they just get redirected to another problem. So, like, the 1984 Olympics in uh, L.A. Um, led to this militarization of the police force. Like, they got ta- new tanks, new helicopters, new equipment, new, uh, like, body armor and guns. And then after the Olympics left, because it's only there for a month, all of those, uh, all that weaponry got refocused on the war on drugs and, like, basically just going to war with, like, the African-American community. Oh, yeah. And what do you think is going to happen in Tokyo after this? Or, like, whatever uh, the Olympics is, the it's the, uh, it's the bait on the hook that's going to lead to further control and repression wherever it goes. I absolutely believe it. So there should be an Olympic city, right? Like you've got, like, the Vatican, you know? <laughs> Well, that way, if there's one city that sucks, that's just like, oh, this is Olympic City. Every every four years, people just go to that city. All whoever wants to go there can go. But that way, it doesn't destroy communities. Yeah, I'm with that. I think the last profitable Olympics was, and someone can challenge me on this, but it was Los Angeles. And the only reason it was profitable was because of the businesses that were involved in the advertising. And uh, and that was really what happened. But I feel like viewership of the Olympics is going to be down this time significantly. It's like well, it's like they don't care. It the only the people who make the money are the it's like NBC because NBC gets That's the sponsors. Absolutely true. So think about all the sponsors who are paying to be to broadcast the Olympics and they're the ones with blood on their hands. They're the ones that are creating the super spreader. <laughs> they're rat ball bastards. Because yeah. they're piggybacking off of the devastation that this is wreaking on the actual place it's taking place in. Yeah. And they're like, hey, I didn't build the stadium. I'm just advertising. I'm just showing what goes on there. And um it's so like, they don't I haven't sunk in the collateral. Yeah. One of the sponsors is Toyota. But Toyota is a Japanese company, so they've actually asked to have their like names and commercials taken off of yeah, this for shame. Like, what the fuck? Because it's yeah. like, oh, we're like bio Hiroshima in <laughs> our own people by like paying for these commercials. So um, you know, at least they're like they see what they're doing and have stopped. But I'd say if you do watch the Olympics, uh, just make a list of all the ad companies and realize that those companies are the ones that are making the world a worse place and. And, like, literally killing people. Yeah, so did you see the thing about the beds that they built for the Olympians to keep them from bucking? Did Dope. You, have you seen that? Uh, no. Oh, it's amazing. So They're supposedly made out of yeah. recyclable cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're made out of the boxes that you get your Amazon products in. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. That tear really easy. Uh, and um, there's Olympians that made a montage of them Jumping up and down on the beds mm-hmm. and like doing like individual sex poses on them to show that it a wouldn't f- like break apart. There's supposed to be sex proof beds to keep people from fucking. So is the subtext here that all Olympians in the village just have an orgy? I don't know. I'm I and they're trying to stop the orgy this year. If you're an Olympian, please hit us up at halalcartels at gmail.com. We need to Because I want to know what goes on behind the scene. Or if you're a married Olympian, do you just get a pass for, like, whatever whatever yeah, happens like, in the like, Olympic village? I was village. going to win a gold. I needed a pound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How selfish are you? I was trying to win for my country. There's and a lot I needed... of tension here. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've got a lot of stress. Hey, part of my job is not only being a kick-ass athlete, but also being an international diplomat. Exactly. So my and job. What screams diplomacy more <laughs> than boning people from other countries and building those cross cultural connections? <laughs> <laughs> Creating a new variant. <laughs> well, what I think the subtext really is is them saying, "Hey, you could get COVID if you pound, so we're going to make you a pound proof bed." And it's like, no, you could also get it if you're like four feet away from someone. That's right. So yeah. They're like, no, 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 that's a different thing because. Goes against what they are trying to do there. Why couldn't they have just given up on this? Everyone would have saved, been saved a lot of money. Art school, we'll see in four years once we hopefully have this thing figured out. They had to do it. They had to do it. Yeah, man. Well, it's that optimism again. It's <laughs> the that. best part is no one's allowed to watch them in person. So they're <laughs> losing so much, so much money now. 
But the thing is, is they don't care because they make all of their money on sponsorships and it being televised. And so something you can do as well is just not watch them. Yeah. If you ignore the Olympics, they'll go. Hopefully they'll go away. Uh, that's a good theory. It's because it's trash, man. And like, of course, yeah, whatever. You want to see people compete? Go watch MMA. You want to see boxing? Fucking go and find two two built people in your neighborhood and hand them fucking fifty dollars and say, "You guys want to fight?" Yeah. And then organize some gambling <laughs> around it. boxing <laughs> match. Match. Yeah. You're like, get a bunch of people, start making bets, find somebody who's good at making odds. <laughs> yeah, it's whatever you want to do, you can do, and you don't need uh, televisions to make it happen. Right there's there every sport exists in your community and if it doesn't, yo man just make it happen. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to watch pros. Yeah, I want to watch my out of shape friends yeah. joust each other on bicycles. That'd be tight. Yeah, I'm sure we could arrange that. All right. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is halal cartels this week. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, man. We're uh, so happy with the new reviews we've gotten since last week. And uh, shout-outs to all of our fans and friends. Please smash the five stars and leave us more reviews. We love them. And you can find me, Gabe Pacheco, at GabePack1, G-A-B-E-P-A-C-1, on Instagram. Yeah, and you can find me at Samirmon, S-A-M-E-E-R-M-O-N. On Instagram. Yeah. And as always, our music in the intro and outro was created by Serene Patel, who you can find at Brown Privilege on IG. Hell yeah. Shouts to Serene. All right, friends. We will see you next week with another episode of Halal Cartels. Peace. Peace. Peace.